0: exclusive worldwide premiere of banks gone everywhere and investigate morrison for selling our sovereignty for a mess of pottage coming up on this week's episode of the citizens report Welcome to The Citizen's Report. It's the 1st of February 2024. I'm Robert Barwick and I'm joined today by Citizens Party researcher and editor Richard Barden. Welcome Richard. Thanks Robbie. All right. in this week's show we have a real treat. We're going to launch, exclusive launch, global launch of a a version, a new version of an Australian classic called Banks Gone Everywhere. So we'll get to that as soon as we can. Um, uh, Make sure you, you know, uh, g- gather the family around for this one. Uh, it's, it's really, really good. Um, and Richard and I are going to give you what you need to know about an act of, that we consider to be blatant corruption that's playing out in front of our eyes and it has endangered Australia's security and has destroyed our sovereignty for money. And that's what we're, that's what we're charging, the former Prime Minister. So we'll give you the details on that. Um, but remember help us get the word out. Like the show, um, uh, share as widely as you can, especially when we get to it, we need you to share the the, uh, the song, um, Banks Gone Everywhere, um, and we'll put that all up on all our other forms of social media as well. Um, we're going to launch the song on YouTube on Monday, so make sure you subscribe if you're not subscribed to this channel and when you do ring the bell icon to get the notification that, that, you've, that it's been launched so you can start sharing on YouTube as well. Um, this is everything we do is not just commentary, it's activism. So please help us by donating, click the donate button below and, and support us in that way. And comment, make sure you comment. We want the feedback, um, we want the debate to rage below, I participate as much as I can. Um, So make comments in the comments section, please. All right. Before we begin, Richard, just quickly, um, this is the end of the, well, we're now the 1st of February, so that means uh, by the time this show goes up, um, the submissions for the Treasury's RBA reforms bill, Senate inquiry, will have closed. So thank you if you've put in a submission. I just wanted to highlight. I was I was given this submission um, a second second ago um, by this is one a a a Victorian Barry Powell a really excellent submission that he's put into the RBA uh, reform bill inquiry Um, and if this is the kind of quality of submissions that they're receiving then that's excellent. Last week we talked about that we've generated a form letter right (laughs) because a lot of the submissions are being uh, treated as correspondence. But what the When when the senators see submissions like this, whether they agree with them or not, what they're starting to see is that there is a movement of everyday Australians who have educated themselves on some pretty significant and at times complex issues and are engaging in the process. So well done, Barry, and everyone else who's done it. I just want to read Barry's last um, line I therefore object in the strongest possible terms to Section 11 of the Reserve Bank Act 1959 and Section 36 of the Banking Act 1959 being repealed as they provide the RBA with tools to target inflation other than raising interest rates. And that's exactly the message that they need to see. So what we do now is we have this inquiry. will hand down a report um, in mid-March. Hopefully there's going to be a hearing or two. We'll see how that goes. Um, we 'll be certainly pushing for that, but now 's the time to shift from concentrating on submission, making a submission and communicate with your members of parliament and senators right Every state has twelve senators um, you 've got your own med, med, federal member of parliament. make sure they get the message from you that this bill must not pass in this form with with those um, uh, two powers being removed it 's essential the powers be used, not removed right so We'll keep talking about that in coming weeks, but you can start doing that straight away. Um, all right. That said, let's get into it. We have a treat, exclusive, worldwide premiere of Banks Gone Everywhere. Um, let's just cover the latest bank news first, though, right? So we could do this every all week, every week, cover the the, the crimes of the banks. In terms of bank closures, the latest is. Just a couple of examples. Uh, In WA, a Bankwest customer drove something like 130 Ks Mm. to the branch, where the branch was, to withdraw not $300,000, not $30,000, not $3,000, $300. And the bank said, no. (laughs) And he said to the bank, well, if you're not going to give me money, you may as well
1: close. And the teller said, yeah, we'll be doing that soon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <this is laughs> to which the management turned around and said, oh, no, 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 no. But, you know, I'll, who are you uh, going to believe at this point?
0: And this is this is in the, I always say, I did an interview last night with 6PR Radio, actually. We talked about this, uh, which is the biggest radio station in Perth. And I called it Out West. But, of course, to the Perth audience, this happened out east. Mm. It's, in the, it's in the eastern part of, it's, you know, a remote area in Western Australia. So it's 130 kilometre. Drive the guy had to do, and yeah, the bank said, "No, we're not giving you cash." I mean, it's it's quite extraordinary. Um, uh, and that's that's the bank that's owned by the bank CBA that has mm. p- that pledged hand on heart. Oh, sorry about that microphone. <laughs> that pledged hand on heart. Um, we support cash uh, for Australians, and we're going to keep. Yeah, we want to be the, the regional
1: bank. We want to be the regional bank. We won't branch. close any more branches.
0: Yeah, right. But they're letting their they're letting their subsidiary in WA screw everyone over. All right, that's one. Another example is, um, uh, this is I tweeted about this yesterday. I call it a tale of two headlines. I'm going to put up a couple of headlines on the screen from the Daily Mail. The first one's on the 29th of January and it's about the hero teller in Tasmania. And she is a hero. Why this, the headline is, why this NAB Bank teller refused to let a couple withdraw $40,000 from their account. And this teller, this woman, um, she's, she uh, she was... She was serving these customers at the branch, and that's the key part of the story, at the branch, and they asked her to transfer $40,000 to account in Perth for an investment, and she has the experience and the the nose to say, hang on, that sounds dodgy, and she wouldn't let them do it. Now, okay, put aside the fact there's a bit of a tension here between people who want to be able to have sovereignty over what they do with their money, Mm. but what the banks have done because of the scamming issue is they've actually... They've, they've come up with more and more um, systems, if you will, mm. right? To, and that includes the tellers give you a hard time about what you're doing with your money. But anyway... Yeah, they anyway call
1: it friction.
0: Friction, that's right. In this, partic- in this particular case, though, it's, it is what you want the teller to do, yeah. especially when it's your local branch and they know you, um, like... And the post offices do, do this as well, right? The post offices who are often providing banking services now... I talk to the people who run the post offices, and they're always having to say to people, hang on, are you sure you should be transferring this Mm. money, etc.? That's them just being good community-minded people, right? In this case, it worked. But the key thing, Richard, is it happened at a branch. Mm. It would not have happened like that if they had transferred it online. They were saved because they went to the branch. So what was the headline in the Daily Mail the very next day? NAB Bank to close dozens of branches across Australia. I mean, and that, that sums it up, right? These, and they wring their hands, oh, we r- really care about scams. No, they don't really, mm. right? NAB would have had a role, by the way, in pushing this story, because it's good PR, of the teller. They would have pushed that through the media. Oh, yeah, Look what yeah. our hero teller did, right? Yeah, your teller at a branch. Anyway, all right, we can do that all day. There's just a couple of the latest predicates. Um, we know the problem. We know the solution, the people's bank solution. So, for the very first time, here is the one and only Jan Percullis, who happens to be the Australian Citizens' Party's Queensland State Secretary, with her version of an Australian classic that she calls, Banks Gone Everywhere. Take it away.
2: I was hunting for work on the dusty outback Aussie roads when along came a storm. That took out all the telecoms. Hey, if you're going to Cooper Petey, mate, you better find a bank. Cause it's a desert there, you know, unless you got cash stuffed in your tank. What's the big deal, you ask about keeping banks in town? I say, listen, mate, I've researched every bank and they go down. We've lost every bank, man. We've lost every bank, man. A banking desert's real man, no king O'Malley here, man. Travel, we do our share, man. Banks gone everywhere. The left Tullamore, Dartwall, Dartmoor, Leesmoor, Bunbar, Theodore, Springshaw, Wee War, Mottle Bar, Urbanville, Emmaville, Wallaville, Wallon Wine, Cun Rhine, Mull Mine, i Franklin, Yawin Finchett, Nambia, Wallin Billaw, can you warmer, it's a killer. We've lost every bank, man. We've lost every bank, man. A banking desert's it's real man, no Kiwi Bank here man. Trouble we have our fears, man, banks gone everywhere. left Kiki, Tali, Drulgarir, Donadoo, can Kambalda, Kandanga, Kalangadoo, <laughs> Dalveen Tambourine, Baradine, Witnoom, Jericho, Thredbo, Reno, Nanagoon, and Thalon, Coonbank, bundala, Quondiela, Bala, Donatana, Gala, Profits Matter, we've lost every bank man. Revolution in the air, man. Council's in, in despair, despair, man. Brandocracy takes our cash. We need our fair and bank man. Brack's gone everywhere. What about cash? Rolston, Perpidon, Galaga, Gabonji, Claremont, Molong, Grong, Grong, Morandi, Youngerborough, Mikathola, Waringer, Cumbia, Boggabry, Birmingham, Gooey, Budgie, Woker, Rumba, Gordon, Bell, Greenbell, Mirren, Bell, Capella, Walla, Walla, Mitter, Mitter, Miller, Miller. Where's Bobcatta? We've lost every bank man. Revolution in the air, man. Statesmen are too rare, man. Bankruptcy takes our cash. We need a fandicum bank, man. Bank's gone everywhere. ATMs. Spin along, gulagong, wooden pong, feral flat, coal, bundara, cap kalani, bouyatara, curry, curry, penguin, terrigal, fingal, jabu, jung, wanga, wanga, nimbin, omiyo, dory, dory, bangalore, durum, bangalore, durum, bangalore, durum, bangalore, It's the economy. Fight for a post office bank, man. a people's bank, man. Banksters have no clothes, man, we'll force the banks to compete. Advance Australia Fair, man, post banks everywhere. What did that cancel? Livingston, Mornington, Dowran, Wagga Wagga, Cooper, Petey, Derwent Valley, Edward River, Bellina, Cobar, Baronga West, Tamora, Banana, Flinders, Yilgarn, Narrabri, Upper Hunter, Strathfield, Cumberland, Latrobe, Ethridge, Barclay. Let's legislate. Fight for a post office bank man, a fair income people's bank man. Banksters have no clothes, men will force the banks to compete. Advance Australia Fair, man. Post banks everywhere, post banks everywhere. We'll go here, there, everywhere with a post bank everywhere. Post bank everywhere, post bank everywhere.
1: There you go. There you Eat go. your heart out, Johnny Cash and whoever else, whoever else
0: has um, covered that song. Best cover so far. Banks gone everywhere. Where's Bob Catter? <laughs> well, Bob Catter's there. He's on the job. Um, Bob's on the job. Bob, Bob's on the job. Indeed. Bob, Bob's on the job. So, like I said, we will, we will re- we're releasing that song on social media. That, that was Jan Percullis' initiative. She was assisted by the producer of this show, Ben Pierce. Um, the data came from um, the, the great Dale Webster, the, the independent journalist, and all the work she's done in documenting these branch closures. The, the reference to councils at the end is those are the councils that have passed resolutions supporting the postal bank idea. Um, that, you know, as I was able to testify to the Senate inquiry on the 1st of December, the proof that a postal bank will stop branch closures is it's already worked. Mm-hmm. It, a postal bank has stopped Australia's big four banks from closing branches because it happened in New Zealand in 2002. And that's you saw there's a shot there about Kiwi Bank, and that was the great Jim Anderton who started Kiwi Bank, who's in that shot. Um, so Jan came up with that idea for the song and made it happen. She was assisted by her husband, Dennis Percullis, who provides the extra vocals in the, in the song, um, Produced by, like I said, Ben here and, and others in the office. So we'll be releasing that widely on social media. Help us make this thing go viral. And what we're doing is we're launching it on the show today. We'll release a YouTube, uh, just a standalone YouTube video on Monday. Um, and when when you see that, and you'll 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 get the bell notification that it's there. Help get that out as widely as possible as well, right? Um, this is this is catchy and um, it'll ram home the message to people. Um, all right, now, uh, but we're not finished with this subject quite yet because we put out a release yesterday um, about one dimension of this question, which is that the the role now of the RBA in f- effectively doing PR for the bank's agenda. Because mm. the banks, the bank's agenda is appalling. Like, there's no there's no excuse for it. We know they're lying. That's the 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 the, 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 um, the Daily Mail story on NAB closing all these branches. I mean, they pointed out that you know NAB's excuses um uh, oh there's no one using the branch but they had photos in there of the bribie Island branch which mm. is which is closing this week right and there's a a, queue a mile long yep <laughs> right coming out of the branch it's all rubbish. they were caught out lying last year their they're, their behavior is appalling but when the Reserve Bank goes in to provide cover for them um, like we have documented in this um, this you know the, the, the it really shows you that these banks are out of control and the government must, Pull them, starting with the Reserve Bank back into line. So the examples, Richard, we gave. I just I just cited three in terms of the Reserve Bank because the Reserve Bank's been harping on about cash a lot lately. You mm. see the headlines. What happens is the Reserve Bank will, will, will release a study or, a, or or some form of release, and then it will lead to a screaming headline. They're always
1: the same. Australia going cashless. Yeah, yeah. Functionally right? cashless by twenty twenty five. It's know, just not true. It's not happening. And it
0: couldn't happen. It, it, if 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 they turned off cash in twenty twenty five. We're toast. The economy would not work, mm. right? So it's ridiculous. It doesn't
1: work. It, it already hasn't worked in multiple countries that have full internet connect, connectivity and phone coverage. But they're using
0: suggestibility and the Reserve Bank's doing it for them. So here's the examples. On the 27th of November, and we, we covered these on the show at the time, the Reserve Bank released a survey saying that the share of cash as, transact- as, the cash as, share of, as a share of transactions has gone from 69% in 2007 to 13% now. And on that trajectory, it'll be gone within a couple of years. Rubbish. The survey is based on fewer than 1,000 people. Now, regular viewers will know one of the friends of our show is Martin North from Digital Finance Analytics, who has the the Walk the World show that he does um, uh, that I I appear on quite regularly. Martin North does a survey, Richard, of 1,000 people a week Mm. and a a different 1,000 people each week. And it's a rolling survey of 50,000 Australians a year. Mm. Right, A much more comprehensive survey. His survey doesn't show that. It shows a great demand for cash. And the more, the more in the regions you are, the more demand for cash. These people come up with this Cook survey of fewer than 1,000 people. And they say, oh, that's, that's, that's the, you know, where we're heading. Mm. Um, but, of course, the survey doesn't... One of the things they never do is provide context in the form of absolute numbers. So they give you mm. a percentage. But if you have a percentage and not an absolute number, so you have a percentage of what, mm. right? You're being scammed. Um, because the real truth is that, and we, we showed this a little while ago, from the a, from the banking association's own figures, that the number of transactions in since 2007 has soared. It was 200 million a month in 2007. it's now over 1.2 billion a month. Mm. right And so actually what's happening is the people who are using cash are holding steady mm. right and even going up. the people using ke- checks, checks, we're holding steady and even going up. And they say, oh, no one's using checks anymore. Rubbish, right? Two million a month are being written in this country, this sort of stuff. Um, so here's the RBA producing mm. statistical lies, damn lies, and statistics on behalf of the banks.
1: And that's not even to mention that it's a survey. It's not actual data. Of course. It's uh, to your best of your recollection. It's like those food frequency surveys. How many cups of broccoli did you eat this month? Who, remember, who keeps track of that stuff, you know? Who jots down every time they spent two bucks on this or five bucks on that? It's nonsense.
0: But this, but, but like I said, it's, I think a big part of this is, is suggestibility. They want the public to assume that this is a runaway freight train, yeah. that's where everyone's going, and you just, just conform. No, don't conform, arc up, protest. Second thing, we've talked about this before, in December, mid-December, Michelle Bullock um, was talking about the payment system, and she floated this idea.
1: That's the RBA governor, for anyone who That's doesn't right, know. That's
0: right, RBA governor. She, flo- well, she was asked a question about whether there should be a surcharge on cash transactions, and she didn't say there should be. What she did say, she, she accepted the premise of the question, which was that she blamed small business for not knowing the, the, the cost of cash. And What they call the cost of cash is putting it in trucks, moving mm. it to businesses, storing it over, like, that has a physical cost. Maintaining the ATMs that dispense it, all of that stuff. And she says, small business, ignore the cost of cash. They don't carry it. It's carried by the financial institutions. In other words, boo-hoo-hoo, the banks are bearing the cost Mm. of cash and it should be borne by small business. But she said that might be politically difficult. (laughs) Well, it would be because you will cause a riot if that happened. Um, And in terms of the banks carrying the cost of cash, their business is money. Yeah,
1: what? The, why should they be the only industry that shouldn't have to have costs of operating? What kind of nonsense is this?
0: It's... Exactly, exactly. And then finally, this week, the RBA Bulletin, make, RBA Bulletin, which is their weekly, monthly thing, came out claiming that, and this is quite ridiculous. They they acknowledge that cash demand is huge because the amount of cash now in circulation is the greatest it's ever been, mm. over hundred billion dollars. But they then disparage that by claiming. Most of it is either hoarded or used in organised crime, But what's the problem with that claim, Richard?
1: Nobody tracks <laughs> cash transactions. I mean, for one thing, as I just said before, it's in terms of the number of, and, and even amount of transactions, it's hard to keep track of anyway. Yeah. Um, the banks, as we've, as we've said on this show before, the banks have admitted, NAB, what's her name, yeah. that executive, admitted they don't and cannot track cash transactions, only the digital stuff. Which and, they hate. And they hate that because they want to know everything you're doing and yep. monetize the data and take a cut of every transaction, which you they can't do with cash, right? Yep. Um, and <laughs> as, and then the other thing is... So just
0: before you go on, that means there's no evidence for what they said. No evidence None. at all. They make it's, these it's claims. There's no evidence. Supposition
1: and, yep. and I, uh, the article, um, and I don't have the figures in front of me here, but the the margins of error for the estimates, because it's all estimates. That's the thing. They admit that's that right, in the. Yeah. If you actually read the article, and it was like between nine and twenty-six billion dollars per this and that, based on which different model they used to estimate yeah. it, because yeah. they have no bloody idea.
0: No, that's right.
1: So, um,
0: one of the, the, the they they cited I, this. We discussed this, uh, and I ridiculed it. They cited this one piece of. A hint of why they thought it might have been used for that. And they called it the demand. They said the demand um, is only for the larger denomination mm. notes, 50s and 100s, is not for the smaller denomination notes. And that's a, but we'll talk about that word demand, but, that, but they said that because that's the case, mm. then um, people aren't using cash in their daily transactions. They must be using it for hoarding or these other, or, mm. or organized crime or other purposes. But there's a reason. Well, first of all, it's not demand. Mm. They have restricted. This is what the RBA never does: is provide the context that the banks, when they talk about this, this use of has fallen, the banks have taken away the ability to source and use cash mm. easily. They don't put yeah. provide that context. That comes first, and they so they call it demand. But I'll tell you why there's not a people aren't withdrawing tens and twenties from ATMs. One of the reasons is there's not many that do that put them out, no. especially tens. The other reason is when you go to an ATM, you're up for a three dollar Plus fee nowadays. So if people are like mm. me, you wait to withdraw three hundred dollars. Yeah. Right. Rather you're, you're sp- not going to withdraw uh, yeah, twenty dollars exactly. and pay three dollars on it. Exactly. Right. Um, and,
1: and that's what people do. And then the other factor is calling fifties a high denomination <laughs> note. Now, well, it's only because it's the second highest there is. But what doesn't cost fifty bucks? You know what? Who's, exactly. whose weekly shopping doesn't cost fifty bucks or more? Yeah you know, these days with the price of everything, especially with this inflation in the last couple of years.
0: And so what we said in the release was, as we've, um, these banks are out of control. The RBA is aiding and abetting them. The government must pull them into line, starting with the RBA. And that's, a, that's the total opposite of what it's doing with this reform bill. Mm. It's giving up its power over the RBA. No, we can't accept that. You mustn't have an unelected banker's dictatorship running the economy of Australia, which is why John Curtin said, if the government doesn't run the economy... Mm. It cannot govern except in a secondary degree. Someone else is in charge. We don't have a democracy. It's a sham, right? That's why we're fighting so hard for this bill. All right, let's move on because this is this is the, the main story of today. Investigate Morrison for selling our sovereignty for a mess of pottage. And mess of pottage refers to the Bible story of... Uh, Isaac and Esau, mm. and these were the sons of Abraham. And um, uh, Isaac persuaded his older brother, who was stood to inherit Ab- from Abraham, to who was hungry, oh, give me your birthright." And, I'll, and he said, uh, Abraham, I, Esau had said, "I want the po-, you know he, there was a mess, there was a bowl of porridge or whatever, yeah, pot of stew, pot of something. stew, something like that. Give me that, and I'll I'll um." I, I, wanna, I want to. I want to. I want to eat. And Isaac said, "Well, I'll give it to you if you give hand over your birthright." Mm. And I, so Esau Sign over
1: your share of the inheritance.
0: Esau did. Um, well, he he <laughs> did verbally, and then it began, and then you know if you know anyway. So that's that's where the re- reference comes from. I use the reference deliberately because um, the two, we're going to talk about two people in this episode, mm. and both of them are very have very strong religious. Mm. Um, uh, I'm not going to say convictions. They, they have a very strong religious orientation. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how genuine it is. Um, and one of them, Mike Pompeo, has actually used that reference, mess of pottage, to lecture countries. Um, we're talking about it now. So here's, here's the news. This week, the Australian Citizens Party, I, on the Australian Citizens Party behalf as the research director, I wrote a letter to the National Anti-Corruption Commission referring Prime Minister, former Prime Minister Scott Morrison for a corruption investigation. And that's a process the, the NAC has been um, operating since the middle of last year. And anyone can refer um, uh, you know, concerns about corruption to mm. that to now be investigated. That's what we've done. Because at a minimum, what we're talking about is what they call the revolving door. Morrison mm. has gone from a job in government to now making money mm. in the private sector Related to what he did in government.
1: Yeah, so making the decisions, creating the policy initiatives um, that yep. he then goes and uses inside knowledge to profit from. Yeah, so, so
0: I want to give you the, here's the... Here's what we said. We've asked the NAC to investigate Morrison's decision to leave Parliament, and people would have heard that the announcement last week, Morrison is leaving Parliament, for private sector jobs in companies profiting from his extraordinary, unilateral and secretive decision to establish AUKUS, the Australia-United Kingdom-United States trilateral security partnership and the massive defence expenditure it involves. And And the three things we've asked the Commission to investigate are Mr. Morrison's secretive unilateral scheming to establish AUKUS at great cost to Australia, then his, and related to that, his personal intimate relationship with fellow AUKUS architect Mike Pompeo, former US Secretary of State, and his subsequent move into the private sector with Mr. Pompeo to pursue business opportunities from this massive expenditure on AUKUS. And we've asked whether they um, combine, constitute conduct that adversely affected, because this is a definition of corruption under the NAC Act, the National Anti-Corruption Commission Act, they define corruption, any conduct conduct that adversely affects the honest or impartial exercise of the powers of an official, in this case his powers as prime minister and or a breach of public trust and or abuse of his office as an official as prime minister or just a parliamentarian this is quite important um, as the as the corruption is defined so that's what we've done as of yesterday we put, we put that we put that referral in the mail yesterday and we're making it public here's the elements that back up what we've just said he launched AUKUS, as Prime Minister, and everyone might remember the, the day it was announced, <laughs> all the new, it was all secret until the day it was announced, right? Oh, because oh, I watch Sky News too much and, you know, breaking news, we're going to go live to a press conference and suddenly here's Morrison, Boris Johnson and Joe Biden. And Biden couldn't remember Morrison's name. He called him the that, fella, down that fella down under. the <laughs> fella down under. The fella down under. So... And, and, and when they announced it, the centerpiece, and it still is, is is the is the, nu- the purchase of nuclear and development mm. of nuclear submarines, yeah. right? So we've got a partnership, but it's about it, you know it's it's about these nuclear submarines, and they have a price tag. So far, mm. three hundred sixty-eight billion dollars.
1: Yeah, and that was the one negotiated, dictated to, however it works, it's all yep. secret um, by Albanese, after they confirmed they're going ahead with it. Yeah, exactly. So that's the cost they've announced
0: now. Um, this whole thing, if you're objective and the media wasn't objective, they just cheered it in. But this whole thing was highly controversial, not least the secrecy. And in the in the referral letter, I actually quote um, another former Prime Minister who commented on the secrecy, and that was Paul Keating, mm. Right, what he said at the National Press Club um, in March last year, because he actually emphasised how secretive this whole thing was and how there was never any kind of prime ministerial uh, paper to back it up. Mm. How it was foisted on Albanese by Scott Morrison, etc. And by the way, um, if you go back and um, I mean, I'll talk to the producer. Maybe we can maybe we can slot it in. But now there are many votes still to count. That is true, and there are many pre-polls and post that will still come in. But I believe it's very important that this country has certainty. I think it's very important this country can move forward, and particularly over the course of this week with the important meetings that are being held in Tokyo, I think it's vitally important that there's a very clear understanding about uh, the government of this country. If you go back and look at Scott Morrison's resignation, um, concession speech on election night, Mm. May 2022, I remember at the time I was struck by how conciliatory he was to Albanese and... He, he He gave an acceptance speech pretty early on in the evening now Albanese had one, but this was a this was relatively early on and he he went out of his way to say it's very important that we have continuity so um, Mr. Albanese can get on with doing what he has to do in the foreign policy space Because remember mm. that was a Saturday night and on the Tuesday Albanese flew off to Japan for the quad mm. meeting met, met biden et etc um and essentially there's no doubt in my mind that that Morrison's obsession was making sure that this AUKUS thing went, in, went ahead uninterrupted, yep. right? And they knew they had Albanese's commitment to do that. Because um, that, that was, you know, the media often says, oh, isn't it extraordinary, we, you know, a rare piece of bipartisanship has broken out on yeah. foreign policy.
1: Rare.
0: Rare. That's all our, That's the only time they're bipartisan is on foreign, well, two times, foreign policy and the banks, hmm. right? But on foreign policy, they both bow the knee to foreign powers, the Anglo-Americans, and they're always bipartisan, and that's an example of it. Anyway, it was Paul Keating who said, look, this is a dodgy, dodgy deal in the way
1: it was done. Hmm. Um, the last prime minister who didn't just get the bipartisan thing actually thought for himself. Exactly. Whatever else he was bad on that we've brought up many times before.
0: Exactly. Now, so for Morrison, though, most of, most of his... When he, came, when he started off on this idea, by his own account, he, he went to Boris Johnson... And it was him and Boris Johnson who went, who then went to the Americans and they kept it between themselves. But I'm interested in the American side of it, right? Because, and Paul Keating highlighted this, that they went to to the Americans, but they went to Trump. They approached Trump on this. But Trump is not a details guy, mm. right? And it turns out, that although Morrison is an architect of AUKUS and Boris Johnson is an architect of AUKUS, Donald Trump is not credited as an architect of AUKUS. The guy who is credited as the architect of AUKUS, and it's not Biden either, it's Mike Pompeo. And um, around the time of the election, Paul Kelly wrote a book which which had this fascinating detail in it, that the exchanges between Scott Morrison and the the Trump administration were not between Morrison and Trump. His Hmm. counterpart, technically not true, Trump's head of state, Morrison's head of government. Yeah. But in practice, that's how it works, right? <laughs> they weren't between him and Trump. Mm. He had weekly phone calls between him and Mike Pompeo, a, an underling, a, 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 second, a secondary guy. Why was the Prime Minister of Australia having weekly conversations with Mike Pompeo? Now, the fact that they were, if, if they had have been talking, if Morrison had have been talking to Trump, those calls would have been recorded and transcribed,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? Remember remember the famous story of, um, uh, what's his name, Malcolm Turnbull's first conversation the refugee, with Trump the refugee about deal. The refugees, right? Yeah, And that transcript was released. That's what happens when the heads of government talk. The conversations between Pom- Morrison and Pompeo were not recorded and transcribed. Mm. So they are off the record. Nobody knows. Paul Kelly... I think, inserted a cover story in his book because he attributed those conversations to their shared faith. Mm. Well, maybe. I doubt it. Now that we're seeing what Morrison's doing now, I well and truly doubt it. What they were doing was plotting AUKUS. And the question is, what what else were they plotting on those calls when you look at what they've done um, subsequently? What have they done subsequently? Well, Mr. Morrison has shown since he left government, Richard, that he has a very special relationship Mm. with Mr. Pompeo. These two are like that. So we'll get to his announcement of what he's doing now in a second, but this is what he's done as a backbencher Mm. um, for, for 20 months. He's been a backbencher for 20 months, right? This is what he's done. Now, bear in mind, under the NACAC, he's still a public official. Yeah. A legal expert pointed this out to me. He's still a public official with all the responsibilities therefore. So he's announced, the fact he's made this announcement now of what he's doing in a commercial way, mm. he was figuring all that out and negotiating all that while he's still a public official. Yep. Right? So that's a, that's a factor for the NAC to look at as well. Um, here's what he did. In May 2022, Morrison joined the Strategic Advisory Board of the Hudson Institute. In America. At the invitation of his dear friend, Mike Pompeo, who chairs the Strategic Advisory Board, mm. then Morrison started echoing Pompeo on everything to do with Taiwan. And we, we covered this at the end of last year. Morrison had gone off to Taiwan to give a speech. In that speech, he echoed what Pompeo had said um, 15 months or so earlier in Taiwan, where Pompeo had basically almost declared World War III, because he said, oh, if I was president, I would Give diplomatic recognition to Taiwan, mm. and that is crossing the reddest of China's red lines to do that. Um, Morrison, that's scrapping the one-China policy entirely. Mm. Morrison didn't say quite that um, in October last year. What he said, though, is he called for a revision
1: of Australia's one-China mm. policy. Um, Although, in fact, just to and John Lander, who's um, yep, yeah, you've interviewed recently, has often made this point. It's not. Australia's or <laughs> that's, America's one-China right. policy—it's China's policy that we formally accepted in order to, in the 70s, in order to establish diplomatic relations with China—and just that, just that um, aspect of it, what you've been able to explain,
0: that shows you how deliberately provocative Morrison yeah. was being. So he did it in a—he did it in a less obvious way to Pompeo, but for the Chinese, it was just as provocative, right? Um, and of course, now they're all, you know, for, the, for all intents and purposes, the people of Taiwan are given the middle finger because mm. two thirds of them voted against independence, the independence candidate. Yep. Um, now, here's what's interesting. Um, we don't know what Ma- Ma- Morrison was paid for this speech mm. that he gave in Taiwan. The reason we're questioning payment is because we know the Taiwanese pay for these speeches. Yep. Because when, Ta- when Pompeo gave his speech, he received $150,000, and this was released. This fact was released by Taiwanese newspapers, not communist Chinese newspapers. Two Taiwanese newspapers found the contract that showed how much the Taiwanese government had paid Pompeo. We also know the same Taiwanese um, people who organised the forum that Morrison spoke at called the Prospect Foundation. They would got Liz Truss, the mm. former Prime Minister of the UK, to go to. Taiwan a few months before Morrison, they paid her eighty thousand pounds, which is about the same amount. When you about the same, exactly, exactly. And um, so, what was Morrison paid for this? Well, we don't we don't know because they, they have a register of interests in Parliament, and Morrison has to record when he receives something, but not the amount. Mm. He hasn't recorded anything to do with this speech. We just don't know,
1: yeah. or or for the. Um heritage foundation everyone else on that board is is remunerated to some extent he hasn't declared anything <laughs> um,
0: what is he doing out of charity yeah well I, the I goodness
1: think, of his heart <laughs> no I,
0: I okay i think not i think not all right so that's what he's been doing now the other the other thing he's been flying all over the world to do not just taiwan to the Americas, to unite um to the united kingdom even to israel et cetera all these flights have been complimentary someone else has paid for them Mm. he's he's recorded them all in his register of interest not um and and sometimes who pays for them but these are business class flights sometimes often for him and his wife often just for him and first class flights Mm. right so as a now meanwhile the australian taxpayer has been paying his salary as a backbencher Mm. and travel allowances (laughs) and, and his allowances and we're going to be paying for his pension right but instead of representing the people for cook the electorate of Cook in Parliament full-time, this is what he's been doing, mm. going around the world, doing this kind of stuff on with someone else's dime. And we covered some of that last year. But now we have post-government. Now we have um, what he's done uh, now, where he's made this announcement last week of what he's moving into, mm. right? So basically, and this is some of the work that you've done, uh, Richard, um, he announced that he's going to have two private sector jobs. He said... Quote, he'll be taking up a series of global strategic advisory roles and private boards focusing on the US and Indo-Pacific, drawing on his experience in networks in the region, in particular through AUKUS and the Quad. So he's acknowledging that his private sector roles will be related to AUKUS, mm. his, his role in AUKUS. And they are, he's joining um, the board of American Global Strategies. Mm. A consulting firm based yeah. in America. And even the name. The former Prime Minister of Australia mm. is now working for American Global Strategies with um, Robert O'Brien, who was Trump's National Security National Advisor. National Security Advisor, um,
1: had some other roles as well over the years.
0: Yeah. So what that alone should ring alarm bells, and it's actually why I started looking at this. The second thing he's joining is Dyne Ventures, capital D-Y-N-E Ventures, um, which is a, a um, uh, like a... Uh, An investment fund.
1: Yeah, venture capital.
0: Venture capital, right. Um, The the founder, uh, Tom Hennessey, this is his statement about Morrison joining. He said, having the actual architect of the agreement is a huge show of strength for the alliance. This is bigger than any one country or any one firm. AUKUS Pillar 2 is about leveraging the strengths of each participant and utilising the best of private markets, i.e. the the money flows, to catalyse advanced capabilities... We're honored to have Mr. Morrison on board so we can fully capitalize on innovation across geographies and do our part to bring critical technologies to market. In other words, this is a fund, a venture capital fund that's there to make money out of AUKUS, and they've employed the architect of AUKUS, Sorry, they've employed the architects of AUKUS because it's not just Morrison joining Dyne Ventures, it's my, it's his mate Mike Pompeo joining Dyne Ventures. Both these architects of this agreement are now on the... Well, as you said, Richard, I've got to quote quote you. He's on the... um, How did you put it? He's on the... um, He's cut to the front of the queue of the gravy train that he laid the tracks. He laid the... That's right. He jumped on the gravy train whose tracks he laid himself, right? Um, So this is... That's the guts of the referral that we have made. And I just want to read the, the final sentence here because um, uh, one of the things we, we acknowledge, we put out a release about this, acknowledging the fact that there's often a revolving door. There's mm. too many former ministers in government and that who go from that to, the, to working in something that they have portfolio responsibilities mm. for. But this, is, this one is completely shameless, plus the stakes are too high. This guy's AUKUS pushed us, is still pushing us towards war. There's, there's, there's pushback from it, but this is pushing us towards it. Right? and it's taken away our sovereignty. We have no, we, we've just allowed ourselves to just hand over our sovereignty mm. to the Anglo-Americans for this, for this stupid scheme. Right?
1: Yeah. Both in terms of the defence policy and, and basing arrangements and all of that, but also control of the resources. We've talked on here before about this thing about making Australia, this is what Albanese has agreed to, yeah. um, to make Australia, designate Australia a so-called domestic source under the US Defence Production Act. Um, But the way that the external affairs power works, that means that now, basically, he's handed over the ability to the Americans to dictate what our industrial development policy will be.
0: No, exactly. So so the question for the NAC will be this. Given that now Morrison is shamelessly in the private sector making money out of AUKUS, can the NAC find anything that indicates that that possibility of making money after government influence what he and Mike Pompeo did in government. Mm. That's where the corruption bit's going to lie, right? That's why we've, re- we've referred this case to them. But it's part of a bigger picture that you've written about this week, um, all aboard Scott Morrison's AUKUS gravy train. It's bigger than Morrison. The whole Orcus, the AUKUS gravy train is absolutely huge. Um, and AUKUS is just one of... When we talk about sovereignty, AUKUS is just one of the agreements mm. that's led to this and given up
1: our sovereignty. So just... Tell us a bit more about those. Yeah. So this goes back to, well, the signing, it was signed in 2014, but there's a thing called the um, US-Australia Defence uh, Force Posture Agreement. agreement yeah. Defence Posture Agreement. Force Posture Agreement. Well, Force Posture Agreement, yeah. So uh, this was mostly put together um, post-Asia pivot 2011 by Gillard's government, of which all the current Labor cabinet yep, were yep. ministers, or almost all of them, um, or senior people, uh, and so they did most of the work on this thing. Um, Tony Abbott signed off on it in 2014, and that gives, uh, and agreements subsequently made um, pertaining to that, gives the Americans pretty much unfettered access to station unlimited numbers and types of weapons, material, war material, and personnel in Australia, um, including control. Of the bases where Australia, like Pine Gap in the '70s, right, where they wouldn't let Gough Whitlam in, yep. they have control over these bases, and we need their permission to go onto their bases on our soil. So there goes sovereignty. That's under this FPA. There's been there's this thing called this annual thing called OSMAN, um, the Australia US ministerial consulta- uh, consultations. Yeah, this between the Defence and Foreign Policy Ministers and their, their counterparts in America. There's another one called AUKMAN with the UK that, that does the same that. thing. So that's all tying into this AUKUS thing now. Um, and so this is where you get these things like, you know, they're stationing B-52s here that the government just goes like this. We don't want to know if they've got nuclear weapons aboard. So of course, everybody has to assume that they do and respond accordingly. And
0: so cumulatively, you've got these agreements um, and now built AUKUS. Up, and now yeah. AUKUS. And, the, and and AUKUS is that $368 billion is the price tag just for the submarines just for, the for the submarines. There's um, so much more money flowing. Yeah, and this right? pillar
1: too that was referred to in, in this yeah. is the the other stuff. So the subs are already locked in, basically. Yeah. Um, whatever form they eventually take, if it happens at all, but that that's locked in, and that's pillar one. Pillar two is all of this, you know, quote-unquote joint development of all these new technologies and things, but if, if you look at how it's set up, it's all the same old song and dance about how, oh, we need foreign capital, we can't do anything for ourselves. Help us, big brother America. But there's also... And we'll give you the keys to the kingdom, like you said, the mess of pottage. And there's an ideological component, though, Richard,
0: because... Um... This relates to what we call the military-industrial complex. Yes. We, as as I sometimes point out, like in, in World War II, defense expenditure was all government, mm. right? And so wars were a cost, not a not a profit. They were a cost. Then they, the military-industrial complex rose up post World War II, where mm. suddenly war was a profit, right? And and that becomes becomes a driver. And so one of the things they've done ideologically, the countries involved in AUKUS are the most fanatical, you know free market kind of countries in the world mm. as well. And they've, they've presented this as great opportunities for public-private partnerships. Mm. And so you've got this thing now called the in Deve- sorry Defence Investor Networks. Mm. Tell us
1: about those. Yeah, so I don't know how long... It's very secretive, so I'm, it's not clear how long it's actually been around. But there's this thing been going on in, in America, this de- the, the Defence Investors Network, DIN, for quite a number of years now but it's almost never mentioned in the press. They keep everything hush. Um, But this AUKUS one um, was set up late last year um, as a sort of subset of that and headed up by a former senior congressional staffer who's apparently like that with the intelligence agencies, the so-called intelligence community over there, Um, based at Stanford, uh, Palo Alto, California, where Stanford University and Silicon Valley are within spitting distance of each other. And this is in response to that conference that the the Five Eyes, so Australia, uh, UK, USA, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, the the post-World War II Anglo-American global spying apparatus. So the domestic security agency chiefs, um, including Mike Burgess from ASIO and uh, the head of the FBI in America and their counterparts elsewhere, had this unprecedented, um, so they said, as far as I know it actually was, um, uh, public conference where they're talking about oh we we need to cut all of our adversary countries out of anything to do with any defence or dual use technology which is virtually anything if you want to define it broadly yeah um, to do with um, communications any kind of technology any kind of any any technology that could be used um, in uh, weapons in war um, and so this whole is like beauty we're going to cash in on that and that's what this um, so that's they've uh, it's being run by this company and they're deliberately creating opportunities for the yeah, yeah. private sector and they they'll they'll, just, they'll
0: say it. ppps public private partnerships are sold as oh this saves the taxpayer money yeah. no this allows no. the private sector to profit from what should be yeah
1: and so the members of this thing are everyone from uh, investment bankers hedge funds yeah. now none of this is disclosed they just give these general statements because they're not certified as a, they're not they're not uh, incorporated because yeah. there's corporate disclosure laws, right? So you don't want to incorporate something. There's no membership fees; it's all just this club, basically. So, and um, but that's everyone from investment funds through to uh, the investment arms of these defense manufacturers, as military industrial companies themselves, down to through to wealthy individuals who've just got a bunch of money and don't, know, yeah, they want the best advice on how to cash in on how to get yeah. aboard this gravy train.
0: So. Back to Australia, it's not just Morrison. We now have a host of former MPs jumping on Mm. this gravy train. And you've singled out um, a few of them in in your uh, presentation, uh, including uh, uh, Joel Fitzgibbon and Arthur Sinodinus, who are involved in a thing called AUKUS Forum, which has got crikey.com.au reported, because it's it's looking pretty dodgy and secretive. Mm.
1: It seems to be, now, like I said, there's an Australian arm of this AUKUS Defence Investor Network, but these guys seem to have got in on that act as well. So they're running around, according to Crikey, they're holding a series of meetings in Tasmania and New South Wales are the ones that they've advertised so far. Yeah,
0: Burnie, Launceston, Hobart, (laughs) Bathurst and Broken Hill in New South Wales, like regional centres.
1: Yeah, so they're going around, um, some of these places are, are where or near to where some of the old Formerly state-owned de- um, defence oh, facilities, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, manufacturing plants and so on. Some of them, I don't know about the others. Um, but yeah, so they're going around spruking all this stuff. Um, but they're banning the media and any uh, no photography, no smartphone <laughs> videos um, during these events. Yeah. So <coughs> yeah, That's not dodgy. No, not at all. Um, and the Australian
0: thing there, Richard, is we, we've covered Arthur Sinodinus before because he's, he's, he was in the, um, the Liberal government... He was the ambassador to the United States. He's involved with Kurt Campbell in the mm-hmm. in the Asia group, which is about also cashing yeah. in on the on on the um, yeah. the whole
1: Aukus thing as a private sector, and also in that think tank that Kurt Campbell started, um, the Center for New, New American, American Security. Security, which Morrison, Morrison has, has also joined, joined yep. at the same time as he did the. Hudson. All of which are funded by the big companies like Lockheed
0: Martin, yeah, the BAE systems crimes, and North Northrop Grumman, who are going to be the make the most money out of Aukus, right. Um, <laughs> But one of them is Joel Fitzgibbon. The other one is Joel Fitzgibbon, who shocked me because in government, uh, well, well, when he was in parliament, he was one of the few voices that actually opposed the anti-China hysteria that mm. Morrison was fermenting. He then resigns, <laughs> retires from parliament, and he jumps on the gravy train too. Yeah. <laughs> but he's not the only one. The other example is the former Premier of Western Australia.
1: Yeah, who was even more outspoken of it. Just absolutely... now. Western Australia you know like their whole income is from selling dirt so to China selling selling iron ore and and um, a couple of other things lithium but mainly iron ore to China and other places but again mainly China and he's just ripped into the you know ever he, he, in a good way yeah, I rethought he he tore into these idiots for their for their um for deliberately destroying relations with China he called out Peter Dutton as you know, um, reckless, irresponsible, um, all this war talk that he, when he was defence minister, um, just blasted Andrew. It was one of the funniest things I've ever heard from a public figure, actually. um, Andrew Hastie, the WA Liberal MP and now defence spokesman, going on about, you know, China's the new Nazi Germany and and McGowan says at this event in China, he says, yeah, I think he, they fed him some kind of Cold War pills when he was born and he never got <laughs> out of that. Um, and now he's turned around and he's joined up with Joe Hockey in one of these uh, in his consulting firm, Bondi Partners, the former ambassador, former, former liberal treasurer for yep. quite a few years, to cash in on AUKUS as well, peddling his expertise as an expert on, you know, he, he was a naval officer.
0: And hockey and hockey's partner in Bondi Partners is um, Richard Spencer, the former U.S. Navy, Navy secretary.
1: secretary. Um, yeah, he's one of them. Um, he's the they hired him as uh, as a vice chairman, hockey's the, the or, or executive chairman or whatever it was. Hockey's the president and founder of it. Hockey's wife is a big time investment banker. She's tied in with these U.S. Australia business groups and lobbying groups and so on as well. On her own, um, yep. you know, her side of it. But then there's a whole bunch of other uh, Trump administration and, and U.S. intelligence alumni at this Bondi Partners outfit, including the former head of the NSA and, and U.S. Mike Navy Rogers. Admiral Michael Rogers. Um,
0: Mick uh, Mulvaney. Mick
1: Mulvaney, who was the chief of staff to Trump. Trump. Um, the deputy chief of staff, White House chief of staff for Trump's entire administration is there as well. I can't think of a name offhand. Uh, Emma Doyle. Uh, Emma Doyle. And also um,
2: Eldridge
1: Eldridge Colby. Elbridge- Um, who's one of these fanatic anti-China... He wrote a whole book about it, Strategy of Denial, about how we've got to contain China. He authored the uh, US defence policy documents in 2017 and 2018, defence and and, um, security policy documents, that turned back to... uh, Because they did the pivot to Asia in 2011, and then they pivoted back to blowing up the Middle East for 10 years, 15 years... And then they pivoted back to Asia under this guy's direction and set the stage for AUKUS, and now he's cashing in on it.
0: So these are the, that's right. These are the people who suddenly lurch the world to this very dark, sharp danger of confrontation with China. They Actually, some of them want a war with China because they have a certain logic that only, America's only chance to beat China is if there's a war now, mm. because if they wait 10 or 15 years... Twenty years, they'll never beat China. Mind right? you, they
1: couldn't beat the Taliban, so I don't know well, what exactly. their chances are. They think their chances the are the whole China. the whole
0: thinking screwed up. Talk about buying um, your own PR. But here is my... because these are the people that have you know made us furious as we've documented this over the years because we don't want a world at war, especially a war of annihilation with China. Um, we want peace, and you get you learn to actually despise these people who are fomenting war. But then, as if, if there is this element that that. They're not doing it out of some kind of, even Even if the de- con- conviction is deranged, mm. that that's not the main motivation, but because there's money to be made, that mm. is evil. and That's why we are taking a stand on this and we're singling out Mr. Morrison to, and saying to the NAC, this needs to be looked at. But just quickly in the time we've got left, um, we're not the only one. You know, the, the, the concern for war is enormous. So the good news this week um, uh, is that 50 prominent Australians, led by former foreign ministers, Bob Carr and Gareth Evans, have put out a call for what they call detente, uh, or this, this is actually, th- what I liked about this is it's something we've been saying for a while, because Australia says, oh, we're sort of trapped between our relationship with China and our, relationship, our economic relationship with China and our, and our um, alliances with America. And we've been saying we should use that, mm. right? We, you know, you cite the example There was a... uh, George W. Bush was making noises about Taiwan.
2: Mm.
1: And what did Australia say at the time? The foreign minister, Alexander Downer, went to Beijing to give a speech where he said, no, we're not going to be involved. And Bush backed off. And and that was it. That was us using... That was all there was.
0: So these guys have called for detente, which is basically us to broker a a detente between these two great powers, like the way America and the Soviet Union eventually found a way to live with each other. Right Now, we, the Citizens Party, we advocate something far more positive than that. We think they should be collaborating. But this is a good halfway point, mm. right? At least agree to de-conflict and not let this get out of control. And um, we might have an image on the board where you, a lot of prominent people, 50 prominent people signed this thing. So that was really good news. Um, and then finally, last week, I did an interview with uh, the former Australian Ambassador to Iran and Deputy Ambassador to China, John Lander. And John reiterated his warning about war with China. Mm. But he made the point that, and you've got to watch the If you haven't seen the interview yet, look on our channel here for the interview and make sure you watch it and share it. Because he made the point in this particular case that the Taiwanese election didn't actually escalate the danger of war mm. because of the way the vote went. And so he's now worried that there's, there's a possibility that what's happening in the Middle East could be turned by the people who want war with China into a way to draw China into a war in the Middle East it's so they, they actually achieve their goal of weakening China mm. through war, right? And that's, that's a warning that, that John Lander has point, put out. Um, and none of this would be happening if it wasn't for people like our former Prime Minister getting involved with these nasty, nasty people in the United States like Mike Pompeo to push this war agenda, and it's, it's got to be exposed and it's got to be opposed. Um, but, Richard, we're out of time. So thank you very, very much for that and for your work on that subject, that article this week. Um, we'll keep you posted. I have to say, look, I, would be, I wouldn't be surprised if the NAC doesn't take up this mm. investigation. They should, but, um, you know, there's all sorts of forces at play. But who knows? They might right? Um, but help us get the news around that, it's, that this has been referred, because this kind of behaviour is unconscionable and must be exposed. All right. Um, thanks to the viewer for tuning in. Remember, you got to see the, the, the global launch of um, Banks Gone Everywhere. Help us get that out as well. And um, tune in next week for more of The Citizen's Report.